Jesus, we're thankful that you are the one that a desperate father could cry out to, could ask you to help his unbelief. And this morning, as we come to a text which shows a man pressing through doubt into faith, we ask you to do the same for us. Would you help our broken, unbelieving hearts? Help us to have faith and help us to find all the blessings that come from knowing you as Lord and God. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. That wasn't really the way that I was, maybe for the first 25 or 26 years of my life. I was, you know, more black and white. This is what I believe in. And then at some point, you realize, I don't really know the answers to these questions. Those are the words of Green Bay quarterback Aaron Rodgers in an ESPN interview of his journey from what we would call an evangelical Christian faith to a lack of faith, to a life of doubt. Now, I don't pick that particular example because Aaron Rodgers is a philosopher or thought leader. I certainly don't do it because I am anti-Green Bay Packers. I do it because it's become so common. We live in a day and age when there are more and more people identifying as nuns. That is, they have no religious affiliation. It's not an uncommon story to hear people who once believed the Bible was true, once trusted Jesus for salvation, who now say they don't know that they believe anything. It's not just inside the church, obviously. There are many outside the church that have deep doubts. They're not sure what they believe or what to do with their questions. So what do you do with doubts? What do you do with the reality that you live in a busted up world, that you have a broken heart yourself, and at times there are questions that pop up that get in the way of your believing in Jesus? Well, I guess you could, could try and ignore them, try pretend they're not there. That doesn't work. Well, I, I guess you could totally give in to them and just question everything, but I think pretty quickly you'll find that doesn't work either. Now, what should we do with our doubts? Well, this morning we see an example of a disciple of Jesus named Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas, who serves as a good stand-in for those of us that deal with the deep questions of, can we actually believe? And we see from Thomas a way to press through doubt into true faith. We'll see that in two, two steps. The first, in 24 through 25, is to identify where doubt comes from. Identify where doubt comes from. And then second, in 26 through 29, is to figure out where in the world you go with your doubts. Where do you go with your doubts? Let's begin in 24 through 25. Where does doubt come from? Now, since we skipped around in John, let me reorient you where we are. Jesus had died on the cross. He was in the tomb from Friday night, Sunday morning. And then the amazing things started happening. He started appearing to his disciples, first to Mary Magdalene, then to some other disciples along the way, and, and then to a whole group of them on Sunday evening. 
Wow, what an exciting, exhilarating time that must have been. Seeing their Lord and Master, who was dead, now in front of them, in his body, alive. But there is a little bit of drama yet to unfold, because while Jesus appeared to this gathered group, somebody was missing. We see in verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. We don't know why Thomas was missing. Uh, maybe he was chronically late for everything, and he is forever sad that he missed this meeting. Uh, maybe he got caught in traffic. Uh, maybe he was Black Friday shopping, and he got caught. Uh, who knows? Whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there, and that leads to an occasion where he has to take people's word for something, a pretty miraculous something, that Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. Well, he's a little skeptical to say the least. Look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now Thomas is undoubtedly doubting in some way. But the question is, what sort of doubt is it that this disciple of Jesus is dealing with? And I realize doubt is not all the same. It comes from many different sources along the way. Sometimes people doubt because they're just ignorant of what the Christian faith is all about. Uh, I once got the privilege of leading a Bible study of a group of totally brand new uh, people who had never been around the, the Bible whatsoever. They had no background in Christian faith at all. And it was very slow going. We, we were studying through one of the Gospels, and I would get stopped, and they would ask me questions like, what does the big number mean? What does the small number mean? The chapters and the verses? They, they want to know who Mark is. is the, who's this name, the book named after? Uh, they, they would ask silly, it seems to us silly things, but you know, they, they would ask, uh, are there three gods? Is that what the Bible teaches us? Um, it, took, it was a lot of fun. It was very slow going. They could not come to faith in Jesus Right off the bat, they were just ignorant of the very basics of what the gospel message is. Sometimes people can't believe just because of plain old ignorance. Now, I don't think that's the case for Thomas. Thomas had been a disciple with Jesus from the very beginning. He was one of the 12. That means he had seen Jesus do miracles. He had heard all of Jesus' teaching. There was a lot, a lot that Thomas didn't understand, but he certainly was not completely ignorant. Well, if, if he wasn't ignorant, well, maybe it was a doubt born of immorality. Sometimes people don't believe because they don't like the implications of what believing would mean on their life. There was a, a father who came to me one time whose son was asking really big, doubt-filled questions about his Christian faith that he had been brought up in. And as the father was asking me for advice as his pastor, I was listening, and, and the story just didn't quite add up. And so I asked him, is there anything else going on in his life? And he said, well, now that you mention it, about six months before, he got caught being unfaithful to his wife. And since then, he has been totally unwilling to reconcile. Well, in that case... His doubt was awfully convenient to excuse his behavior. Sometimes doubt is born of immorality. And I don't think that's the case with Thomas. We're not given any indication that Thomas had any sort of moral failure that disqualified him from ministry. 
Nothing like that is hinted. He's a, a faithful follower of Jesus as far as we know. Well, maybe then it's doubt come from non-intellectual, non-philosophical things. The type of doubt that comes from illness or exhaustion. Maybe it's the sort of doubt where the, the, the body being stressed kind of spills over into the thoughts and into the soul. Well, that's certainly a real thing. Realize you are a whole being, your body. It affects what, how you think. It certainly affects your spiritual life. There was a, a woman who was a pastor's wife, also a medical doctor, who had a crisis of faith, and she initially thought it was just a matter of spirituality. Her name is Shona Murray. She wrote about it in a book. She said this of this crisis moment. She, she thought, if only I could have greater faith in God, then everything would be okay. After all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, according to Philippians. But I was in the eye of the storm, weakened and disoriented, which is not the best place to make accurate assessments. In her case, a series of stresses and lack of sleep, lack of caring for her body had led her to a breaking point. And uh, her doubt was rooted in physical failure of her body. Now, again, I, I don't see any indication that's the case of Thomas. We're not told that he's yawning or that he's having some sort of nervous breakdown. I don't think that fits this profile at all. Well, what, maybe it's the sort of doubt that comes as a sort of coming of age. Uh, I saw this often as a student pastor. There would be students that they grew up in a Christian house. They believed because their parents believed. And then somewhere along the way, they started asking deep questions. Either they thought of them themselves and they, they got curious, or someone started pressing them on how you, could you possibly believe what the Bible says. I remember one particular student, he was very squirrely for a junior high boy even, uh, constantly bouncing all over the place. He was the first one to play the gross, messy food games and all that sort of stuff. But he would constantly ask these really deep questions. And uh, it took a lot of my time, and at, at points, I'll admit, I, I thought, man, it would just be good if you just stop asking these questions for a little while. But you know, there, there came a point along the way of him studying, him asking questions, him getting answers, somewhere along the way, where his questions, they seemed to stop. And then his faith didn't go away. Quite the opposite happened. He, he grew spiritually like a weed. Sometimes doubt is the growing pains of coming of age. Well, there's some of that going on with Thomas. We will see he certainly comes to a real vibrant faith, but I don't even think that fully explains the doubt that this disciple of Jesus had. Note, what we have in Thomas is the example of doubt born out of deep disappointment. Now, you have to remember who Thomas was. I already told you he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And Thomas was not a cowardly sort of guy. He was not someone that lacked bravery or faith. There was one point back in chapter 11 where Jesus was going back to a particular area with his disciples. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus was saying. They thought that Jesus was marching them into sure death. And Thomas was the one that piped up in chapter 11, verse 16. He said, let us also go that we may die with him. 
Now, Thomas was not someone who lacked belief. Thomas was a true believer in Jesus. But you have to understand the Jesus Thomas was believing in. He had come to faith that Jesus was more than a miracle worker. He was God's Messiah. And in those days, if you were a religious Jew, chances are you thought that the Messiah was going to be a political and military leader, that he would come and right all the wrongs. He would, he would finally kick those wicked, godless Romans out and put God's people back on top and usher in a new era where, where God's people were in his place under God's rule. Thomas was looking forward to that day with faith until his Messiah was tacked up on a cross. On that day, Thomas's hope died. What we see here is a man who has been shattered. A man who has experienced a disappointment so deep that he cannot bear to possibly open himself up to believe again. Thomas isn't the only disciple of Jesus to ever experience deep doubt because of disappointment. Back in the 1840s, there was a group of people that became convinced that they knew the exact day Jesus was going to come back to earth and usher in the end of days. Those people decided that they would sell their possessions, quit their jobs, head out to gather up together and just have worship services and enjoy life until Jesus came back. Well, as you might imagine, they were mighty disappointed when that day came and went and no Jesus showed up. Historians call it the great disappointment. Scores of believers lost their faith on that day. Well, it may not be quite that dramatic, but maybe someone has been told that God's will for their life is for them to be comfortable and happy and to have a good marriage, and then it doesn't pan out. And born of that disappointment, suddenly they're questioning whether God exists at all. Maybe it's disappointment with a great spiritual leader in your life. How could that person do that thing? Disappointment often leads to doubt. Thomas gives us an example of someone in this sort of doubt that finds his way through it to true faith. But even if we don't come with that exact type of doubt this morning, realize the path Thomas takes is the same path every doubt must go through to find real faith. And that's what we discover in verses 26 through 29. Not just where doubts come from, but where to go with our doubts. Where to go with our doubts. We're told in verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was this, with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands, put, one, uh, uh, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Thomas ends up having an appointment with Jesus, a meeting with Jesus that deals with his doubt. But uh, along the way, I want us to not just notice the details of how that happens. I want us to notice what it tells us about Jesus. Three things about Jesus that will help us press through doubt into true faith. Uh, first, notice how patient Jesus is with Thomas's doubt. 
We're told it's eight full days before Jesus shows up. Now, I don't think this is because Jesus' calendar was too full. Just couldn't squeeze in another meeting with Thomas. Sorry, you're going to have to wait till next week. It's not because Jesus was unaware of what Thomas was dealing with. I mean, the, the way Jesus responds to Thomas uses his very words. He meets him exactly where he is, showing that he knew exactly what was going on. I'm sure those eight days were not fun. I'm sure there was wrestling, maybe weeping. Certainly there was anguish in Thomas's soul. And yet Jesus shows tremendous patience. Remember, if you're with us last Sunday, we, we saw that same thing. Jesus had patience with his disciples. He gave them time to process what his resurrection from the dead actually meant. And we see here that Jesus has patience with people that have even great doubts in their heart. Friends, Jesus is the same 2,000 years later. He can be patient with your doubts as he was with Thomas's. The second thing we see about Jesus is we see that he has mercy. We see he has mercy on this doubting disciple. He, uh, after he has this uh, appearance the same way he did last time. Behind the locked doors, they're still apparently not getting what's going on. Jesus shows up and he gives the ancient equivalent of, hey guys, with peace be with you. And, uh, in, and then at that moment, he doesn't just reveal himself a second time to all the disciples. No, he shows he's here for Thomas. He addresses him directly and he addresses his doubts directly. Now Jesus gives Thomas proof. He says, you have doubts, Thomas? Look, look at the nail scars. Put your fingers in them. You want to see my, the, where the spear went in? You can put your hand inside, Thomas. And then he tells him, he invites him and commands him, don't doubt, but believe. Now realize that God is never required to provide any of us evidence or proof. That's not something we can demand of God. And yet so often he does provide evidence and reasons that we can have faith. Every time he does so, friend, that is mercy. That is God knowing exactly what your heart needs to believe. And in his kindness, providing that which none of us deserve. Jesus overcomes his doubts with proof. And then Jesus, the third thing he does, he brings an end to his doubt. He brings an end to his doubt. In that command, he leaves no room for Thomas to remain in his unbelief. He calls him to leave behind his doubts and come find real faith. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas does. Now, Thomas's reaction to Jesus is remarkable. He exclaims, my Lord, my God. Now, there have been some that don't like the implications of what Thomas says in this moment. No first century Jew would ever ascribe divinity in that way to someone. It would have been blasphemy. And yet somehow Thomas has come to the realization that Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than the Messiah he expected. He is God himself. Even more amazingly, Jesus doesn't correct him. No, Jesus accepts this act of worship. He confirms that this is genuine faith. Look what he says to Thomas. 
verse 22. And when he said this, he, I'm sorry, uh, verse 20, uh, 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? That's Jesus confirming he actually has believed. And then Jesus addresses all of us and every believer that does not have the benefit of seeing the resurrected Jesus in front of us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. What we see from Thomas's example is that Jesus is the one we need to bring our doubts to because Jesus is the one that will be patient, that will show us mercy, and will even overcome our doubts and bring us to true faith. Now, you may ask, how do you actually put this into practice? Well, let me give you three lines of application for how you make this journey from doubt to true faith. First, don't deny that doubts exist. Don't deny that doubts exist. Pretending doubts don't exist in your own life will only do yourself harm. Sometimes we like to think that if we just ignored the questions we have, they'll just go away, that the concerns will evaporate. But more often than not, one day or another, the doubts will come back. And they, if you have ignored them, they will come back with an even greater doubt attached to them. The doubt that there are no good answers. You're far better off to do the hard work of studying, praying, asking questions, and deal with doubts as they come about than to pretend they don't exist until the day you're forced to deal with them, either by someone challenging your faith or by trauma forcing you to ask the big questions of life. On the same side, this applies to how you treat others. Don't deny that doubts exist for them. Don't minimize the doubts the people in your life have. It may not seem like, uh, it may seem like a loving thing to tell someone not to worry about the questions they have about faith, just to believe harder. But friend, it's actually ineffective. It's cruel. It's unfaithful. When you're presented with a question to just respond, don't worry about that, just believe. Now, Jesus was willing to help those that were doubting. And the Bible tells us we have to be willing to do the same. Jude 22 tells us, have mercy on those that doubt. That's a command. Now, part of having mercy on those who doubt is at least hearing their questions honestly and helping them to press through their doubts in the hope that they might find true faith. Tim Keller wrote about the dual nature of dealing with doubts, how it both helps your own soul and it makes you a more effective disciple of Jesus in your witness. He said this, only if you struggle long and hard with objections to your faith will you be able, able to provide grounds for your beliefs to skeptics, including yourself. Such a process will lead you even after you come to a position of strong faith, to respect and understand those who doubt. Now, certainly I think this means as a church, we need to be in the business of giving people room to ask questions and seek the truth about Jesus, that we shouldn't be afraid when someone has even deep 
big questions of God. We want them to be here. We want them to ask those questions. We shouldn't be afraid of those questions being asked. I think there's a big application here to parents. Parents, I know you get asked questions by your kids incessantly. The last thing you want at some moments is to have to deal with questions of philosophy and theology. And yet, if your kids get the message that mom and dad don't want to talk about these questions, they'll get the impression that there are no answers to those questions. And one day when they're on a college campus and a philosophy professor sees fresh meat in the room, they will be in for a world of hurt. Instead, moms and dads, take the time to hear the questions and work to get answers. It's okay if you don't know the answer right now. You can tell your kid, you know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to that, but I'm willing to do some work and find one. Would you, would you have this conversation with me after a week? And then come ask for help. If you need help, there are plenty of people in your church that would love to help you. I would certainly love to help you. Do the work of answering your kids' questions. It's how you show mercy to those doubting in your own house. So first, don't deny that doubts exist. Second, don't try and dwell in doubt. Don't try and live in doubt. Uh, there is a, a tendency in the, uh, the day and age we live to think of doubt as virtuous. That by saying, you know, I don't know the answer to that, it makes you humble or more authentic. So people seem content to try and say, well, I'm not really sure what I believe. I, I just don't have answers to any of those things. That's a very common thing for people to say. But friend, if that's you this morning, realize the cost of remaining in doubt. The price of living in doubt and letting doubt win the day is losing Jesus himself. The only way we have relationship with God, the only way we receive the many gifts from Jesus himself is through belief, through faith. And that means if we will not work through our doubts, we'll never have faith that's on the other side of them. You can't live in doubt because with doubt reigning in your heart, with doubt as the thing that most defines you, friend, there's no room for faith. And remember the good news of Jesus is that we have done nothing of our own to deserve forgiveness of sins or life with God. But when we have faith in Jesus, we receive all those things and many, many more. You can't live in doubt, friend. You have to travel through it and find true faith on the other side. Now, I know immediately as I say that, that some of us in this room, our heart immediately starts to despair because we think, well, I do have doubts and I think I believe in Jesus, but I have doubts sometimes. Well, what does that mean about me? Well, that's the third application for you, friend. Don't despair at your doubt. Don't despair at your doubt. You are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. God has not forgotten about you if you deal with doubts regularly. You are not alone. Many godly Christians down through the ages have dealt with deep doubts, and they found bringing their doubts to Jesus to be more than enough. The great evangelist Billy Graham had a moment where he wasn't sure he could trust the Bible anymore. 
He said he went out into the woods. He literally put his Bible on a stump and he cried out to God. He said, God, I don't know that I could believe this, but I don't know what else to do. I am going to believe that your word is true. He had deep doubts, but he pressed through. And God used him in a mighty way. So many came to faith through him. Or what about the great theologian and philosopher C.S. Lewis? If you are interested in his journey through doubt, read Mere Christianity. A lot of that journey is captured in there. It wasn't because he didn't have big questions. And yet, his big questions have helped so, so many believers as his ministry through his writing and speaking. Or what about the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon? Oh, there was, if there was ever a man that had an unshakable faith, it was surely him. And, and yet Spurgeon wrote of sometimes doubts that he thought he would never shake. He said, some days I th- thought I would never overcome my doubts to preach the gospel. Now, friend, if you are dealing with doubt, that does not mean you are not a Christian But you do need to identify where it is your doubts are coming from so you can deal with them. Uh, I'm going to get very practical at this moment. If you're dealing with deep doubt, ask yourself, have I been sleeping recently? Like, has it been weeks or months since I've had a good night's rest? Is my body worn down? Am I emotionally shot Could it be that it's not the philosophical, deep theological questions that are really bothering me? Could it be my body's about to break? D.A. Carson said it this way. He said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get a good night's sleep. Friend, maybe if that's you, you need to go see a doctor and you need to do what you need to do to get a good night's sleep. Or, Or maybe you've had some sort of horrible trauma that you've gone through over the last year, or maybe your health has failed you or someone has let you down in a big way, and maybe your doubts are actually rooted in the pain that's been inflicted upon you. Friend, if so, answering the big intellectual questions isn't likely to make your doubts go away right now. What you need is Christian community and support. You need people to hug you and cry with you and pray with you. And then one day, once the pain has lessened, those big questions, those, they can be dealt with then. Now, if you are dealing with these big questions this morning, I want you to hear that there are good answers, but they take work to find. It may be that you have to read several books. It may take you months to wrestle through it all and come to a place where your heart is at peace. But friend, if you don't do the work to press through the doubt, then it will strangle you spiritually. Now, I hope you feel comfortable coming and asking for help. The family of God is meant to help each other through seasons of doubt. So if you're in small group and you're dealing with doubts, don't stop going. Keep going and ask people to pray for, with you. If you feel like your prayers aren't getting above the ceiling, Keep praying. Jesus is the one that can help you to overcome your doubts. At least ask him to help you. And friend, remember, remember that it was never the quality of your faith that saved you in the first place. It was the one you have faith in. He's the reason that you're right with God. It was never that you believed well enough or hard enough that you're 
heart was spiritually full enough. No, it is that your faith was in the all-sufficient one, Jesus. So it doesn't really matter if you have perfect faith, whether your heart has many unanswered questions still. What, what matters is do you really trust Jesus? You can cry out to him and ask, Jesus, help my unbelief. Friend, you know he will be patient and merciful and that he has the power to bring you through your doubt into true faith. At the end of the day, all of us, no matter what sort of doubt we're dealing with, we have the same task. We have to bring our doubts to Jesus and find all the grace and mercy we could ever need. There was a woman who had every reason to be deeply disappointed in her pain, to turn to her doubt. She went by the name Elizabeth Elliot. She was a spouse of one of five missionaries that went to reach an unreached tribe called the Auka. Those five missionaries were all killed in their attempts to bring the gospel to people who had never heard it before. Now she dealt with a very deep wound on that day and for many years after. She could have fallen into despair. She could have said, God must not exist for my husband who is serving him to be taken from me. But listen to how she understands faith and what we do with the big questions of life. She said this, faith does not eliminate questions, but faith knows where to take them. Friend, you may not have all your questions answered today or tomorrow or the next day. But I promise you, if you bring them to Jesus, you can journey through your doubt and come out the other end in unbelief and come out the other end in true belief. Because it turned out the whole time, Jesus was the one that had to overcome your doubt. In a moment, we're going to sing a song called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Listen to its words and how it speaks to what Jesus does for those of us with fearful, unbelieving hearts. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Let's pray.